in a sense, we're going to have uh, this message is going to be kind of a two-part message, but uh, we'll be done officially with chapter 2 here today. And uh, I think you can probably understand by now, just by the time that we have spent in these first two chapters, how that uh, Romans can get the, uh, it can get the, uh, the designation of being a very complicated book. Uh, you know, most people, when they try to read the book of Romans, they, they, uh, they really think it's a hard book to grasp and a hard book to understand. And I must confess to you, it can be really difficult if you don't put it in the right context. And what we've tried to do throughout our time as we uh, have been breaking down the book of Romans is not only to teach you the book itself, but to show you how to break some of these books down. And I told you that the real key to Romans is how Paul writes it and, and what he's trying to accomplish. And once you understand that, you know, the book becomes uh, easier for you to grasp and, uh, um, you know, you, you begin to see it. I've been laying it out and teaching it to you in basically two formats, if you've been following along. And it's the same basic formats that I used in my own personal life to, to break down uh, many of the things in the Bible. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you think that there's a difference between me and you uh, when it comes to the Bible, that, you know, I have some special whatever that God will give it to me that He won't give it to you. I started out just like you did. And uh, wherever you're at, uh, I guarantee you, at one point in my life, I was there. Now, I maybe have been at it longer than you, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I had to follow the same basic formats to learn the Bible that, that I'm teaching you to do. It worked for me. It's like somebody said the other week that I was meeting with, well, if you can do it, I can do it. And that's so true. And uh, you just have to get the right context and the right format. And so if you notice that I've been, I've been breaking Romans down in, in, in two different ways we've been looking at it. First of all, I've kept before you the overall context because you want to remember in an overall context, you know, how this book lays itself out and you never want to lose sight of that. Then the second format is each chapter, if you notice, I've been breaking it down into small sections because Romans is written in such a fashion and you're going to see it here in a moment when, I, when we read this next I, I read this throughout the week and I thought to myself, boy, somebody that didn't understand what's going on here, this could be very intimidating in Roman because it's hard to follow it because of the style. It's almost like it's a legal document. I've said that many, many times. So I've been breaking each chapter down into small segments. Yeah, smegments, that's right, smegments. <laughs> and, uh, and those individual segments uh, have been broken down into showing you historically what you have, how how Paul is actually writing this. And this is going to be very important when we get into chapter 3. Then I've been showing you that doctrinally how the book lays out. It shows you uh, that many of the things here are, are a picture of what an unsaved man is up against when he tries to figure out God. And then inspirationally it shows uh, how that the parallels between the historical, the nation of Israel, and, and, uh, and you and I in our everyday life are so key in putting it all together. But Within those two segments, you notice I'm always keeping you reminded of the context. You've always got to see the bigger picture. I think that's, that's a lot of the struggle that God's people get into when it comes to figuring out their own life and what God has for them. I think that many times we just we localize ourselves, that we just look at where we're at right now in our own lives. And I'm not saying you should, shouldn't look at yourself where you're at in your own life because that's very key and very important. But I think you always, when you're looking at yourself, it helps you put it into perspective when you're looking at the whole context of what God is doing. And uh, we started the book of Romans, our book of uh, Ruth last night, and I, I think that uh, 
Uh, I don't know of another, if, if, you know, if you're wanting to build that relationship with God that is really, really the key relationship of everything that you could want, it's books like Ruth and understanding how those things break down in those great parallels. And, uh, and it's the, getting the context of those books. So vital. Finding yourself in that book, but keeping it within the context of what God is doing. That's the hardest job for me as a Christian because there's so many things in our lives, so many busy things we're involved in that I, we, we lose our perspective, our context of what we're doing for God, and it becomes many times then all about us. And that becomes a problem for all of us, I'm afraid. And, uh, you know, this is really the way we're breaking this book down is really the best way for you to, to, to get it into your Bible. And I know many of you are on a week-by-week basis uh, going through and putting the, the notes in as we're taking the Saul segments that when we're done here, you're going to basically have an understanding of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is absolutely vital if you're ever going to uh, get wherever what God wants you to go because it is the foundation, as I've said many, many times, of everything that we believe. In the book of Romans, we have where we're coming out of the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, coming from the nation of Israel to the body of Christ, and, and now we're seeing the things that have changed in New Testament Christianity that were not in the Old Testament uh, situation with the nation of Israel. It's vital, absolutely vital. It's one of the reasons Paul writes it the way that he writes it. I've told you many times that Romans has been called the constitution of our Christianity. It's like reading the Bill of Rights or the Declaration of Independence. It's hard to read and follow it, but the truths uh, are so weighty because of, the, of, the, uh, of all the material that's in it. And so today we're going to look at the last segment here, and uh, we'll, be, again, break it down historically, seeing how it applied to the nation of Israel. But again, at the same time, we'll see the great parallels for us. And that in itself is a great, is a great, uh, uh, is a great aspect for you to see. And somebody asked me last night uh, at the end of the Ruth class, so I was talking to them, and, and they said, how do, you begin to, how do you begin to look at a book in the Bible and to, and to see all of the practical things uh, that are in there that, that just don't fall out when you read it. And I told them, I said, the key of, of learning those kind of doctrinal and historical things, or doctrinal and inspirational things in the Bible, is understanding the historical. You hear me say it all the time, and I keep it before you on Thursday night. I keep it before you uh, in our one-on-ones. I keep it before you in Institute, and I keep it before you on Sunday morning that there are parallels between what God is doing in the old time for the nation of Israel and what He's doing for you. Once you understand those basic parallels, and then you're reading the Old Testament and you know that, you can, that, you can get the historical thing of what Israel is going through historically. It's just a half a step then to make the parallels fit into your own life. That's how you start to do it. And uh, we're, some of you are, are, are getting along very well in doing that, and, and uh, you're, you know, I'm impressed with the way that you're able to, to find those things, and it just gets better the longer you stay with it. And um, so I want to begin reading today in Romans chapter 2. I'll pick it up in verse 25 and, and uh, stay with me here. It's kind of weighty reading, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll break it all down for you. For circumcision, verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Now, I'm confused already, and I've just read two verses. Can you imagine trying to figure this out on your own? 
I mean, uh, it's, it just, it just, it's almost like double talk unless you understand the principles involved here, and that's why we've been coming through it in the segments that we come through. This is why you need to get your notes in as we come through on a weekly basis so you don't get behind. Verse 27, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we love you today, and we ask you to take this time and, and help us to grasp the words and, and help us to understand all that you have here. This is a great book, and, and uh, Lord, we need to understand this book that we can do everything for you that we need to do. And I know there's people here this morning that are very young in their Christian faith. I know there's some that are on that mid-level, and I know there's some that uh, uh, are mature and, and have a pretty good handle on the Bible. Help me transgress into all three levels, Lord. Help me, help me to give the, the youngest of the young, Lord, something to go home with today. Help me, Lord, to uh, uh, give those on the mid-level what they need, and help me, to Lord, to be sensitive and, and, and give those that uh, uh, have a handle on the Word of God uh, what they need out of this. Help us to see it wherever we're at with you today. And Lord, uh, we just ask you to do that. And Lord, if there'd be somebody here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, I pray that through today, Lord, that you would make it real in their heart and their life, that they'd come to today uh, as a saving knowledge of, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, uh, it's going to get a little weighty today. And uh, I'm going to try to break this down. You're going you're gonna to see today the value of some of you that, uh, um, that meet with me one-on-one -on -one or, or consistent on Thursday night because we get into a lot of these things. That, and you see that, that everything you learn at some point begins to come together and pull together for what, where you're at and what you need to learn and need to understand. And you're going to see the value of, of getting material from other places and then putting it into your own life when it comes to some of these tough passages. And uh, in this passage here, Paul begins to address the Jews, and he begins to address the Jews on the issue of circumcision. And this is an issue that you need to understand today, not only how it applied to the nation of Israel, but how it applies through the Bible. Because in your Bible, in your Bible, you have three different circumcisions, and they're not the same. And we're going to talk about that, and that's why I said this is going to be a two-part message where we get into uh, part of it, uh, two of it this week, and then we get into uh, the rest of it next week because I want to make sure that we don't uh, confuse you and that we can break it down and help you understand uh, what it's all dealing with here. Now, those three circumcisions, I'm going to go ahead and give them to you because we're going to talk about two of them today, and then next week I'll explain the third one. Those two circumcisions are this. The first circumcision is the one that was given to Abraham when God made his covenant with him back in Genesis. This is the circumcision that is a physical circumcision. We'll talk about it here in a minute. And uh, it was given uh, through Abraham. It runs through up under the law, and it runs all the way up uh, through the nation of Israel. The second circumcision in the Bible is, is called the circumcision of the heart, and that's where, where God deals with the Gentiles. The first circumcision had to do with the the first circumcision had to do with the Jews, the nation of Israel. The second circumcision that we're going to talk about has to do with the heart, has to do with the Gentiles. 
Then there's a third circumcision, and that's the circumcision of Christ. And the circumcision of Christ has to do with you and me. And that is a circumcision that is only for the body of Christ or you and I as Christians. And that's the one we're going to go into detail and explain uh, next week. But I want to explain to you here in context before we try to get into these verses. I think it's very important that you understand. And I think that probably what you ought to do is you ought to, by this chapter or in some of these chapters, you put a little bio of what's going on here. Break it down and put it in there so that when you read the book of Romans next year or next month or two months from now, that you, you don't forget what you're reading that is already in there. My Bible, not this Bible, but my study Bible, is basically my own running commentary of what every verse in the Bible has to do with every other verse in the Bible. Every book in the Bible and what it has to do with every other book. Every, 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 every situation or event in the Bible and how it relates to the other situations in the Bible. And in time, that's what you need to begin to do. You haven't done that already, and a lot of you have. But uh, the, the way you do it is the way we're doing Romans, is you break it down in the little segments and you fully understand those segments. The way to understand Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 is to take all the little segments of chapter 1 that we define and then put them together. Learn them by the segment. Don't try to learn the whole chapter. Learn the segments. And when you get the segments together, then you can bolt them to the point where they all fit. Same way with chapter 2. And that's the way that it works. Now let me explain what's happening here uh, and the concept of circumcision under the law so that you can better understand it. Now, in the Old Testament, when God called Abraham out of Ur, and this would be around Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Let me explain that. God was looking down through, and we know that in Genesis we find the formulation of the nation of Israel. We see God looking down, and we see that God wants to call out a group of people unto himself. And God is looking down for a man that will be faithful in, in what God wants him to do. And God finds a man named Abraham. And Abraham is living over in what is called back in this time the Ur of Chaldees. The Ur of Chaldees is where modern-day Baghdad is today. That's where Ur was in the, in the Old Testament time. And what, is, what do you have here is this. God calls him out and he says, Abraham, I want you to be a nation unto me. And I want your seed that's going to come through you. And in time, we know that Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. From Jacob come the 12 tribes, and from 12 tribes comes the nation of Israel. We know that. So he's looking down through Abraham and the children that's going to be produced and says, this is going to be my nation. And when he calls Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees, he says, I want you to be separated from the world. And the picture of Abraham leaving the Ur of Chaldees and coming to go to the land that we know as the promised land or the land of Palestine, that's a picture of God separating uh, his people from the rest of the world. And that's pretty simple to understand. And you need to, you need, it's, a lot of times the Bible is easier uh, when you understand some of the background. And he calls him out in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. In chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, we find all these things being transpiring in Abraham's life. But in chapter 17, God makes his covenant with Abraham. And the covenant that he makes with Abraham has to do with Abraham's seed. And God says to Abraham, he says, Someday your seed, the nation of Israel, is going to be like the stars of heaven. And he says, I'm going to, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in your seed. We know that seed as the nation of Israel today. And so in Genesis chapter 17, when God makes this covenant with Abraham, he gives him a sign. 
And the sign is a physical sign that that Jew is supposed to do to the newborn Jewish male boys that are born. It is the sign of circumcision. And this is where circumcision starts in the Old Testament. Many people think that it's under the law, and it is, but it started before the law all the way back with Abraham. And it's very important to know that. Every male child that is born, on the eighth day after he is born, he is told, the nation of Israel through Abraham is told that they circumcised that male child. And uh, now, the reason why that is, and there's a couple of reasons, and I want you to understand the concept behind it. Now, the Jew is told to be different than the rest of the people on planet Earth. In fact, the word that God uses is the word peculiar. You go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, and places like Deuteronomy 14, 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you're going to find that the Bible says that, that, uh, that God's people are to be a peculiar people. They're to be different. And remember now that in the Old Testament, we're dealing with the literal, physical kingdom of heaven. We're, we're not dealing with the, with the times that you and I are living in where everything is spiritual. We're dealing in a time period where God is dealing with the nation of Israel in a physical way. They have to fight physical nations. You and I don't have to fight physical nations for our spiritual warfare. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see, ours is a spiritual conflict. Theirs was a physical one. And he says, you're to be a peculiar people. And there's, there's three ways that that Jew was told to be different from everybody else on planet Earth. One of them was the way he looked. So in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 27, the Jew was to, to cut his hair, or I guess a better way to say it, not cut his hair uh, in certain ways that when his beard grew out and his hair grew, he looked goofy. As far, I don't know what else to say. Goofy's the best word. He looked goofy. He looked like that guy in the comic strip that's got the hair going straight up and the beard coming straight down. What's his name? Well, I forget his name. I don't read a comic strip. But anyway, he looked weird. And if you would have saw a, a, a regular guy over here, a Gentile, and saw a Jew in the Old Testament, you would have, you'd be asking yourself, what in the world's wrong with him? His beard comes straight down. He can't round the corners. You see, when we get our hair done, we round our corners. They weren't allowed to do that. Their hair had to go straight up, you know, like you just stuck your finger in 440 volts, you know. And they had to, their beards had to come down the straight way. And they looked goofy. I don't know what else to tell you. If you ever went to New York and you see, or maybe Jerusalem, you'll find some of the real Orthodox Jews. Now, they don't do it exactly the same way, but they, they, you can tell he's a Jew, okay, by the way they wear their hair and weigh their beard. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was he was told that there was things that he wasn't allowed to eat. I mean, Arthur Bryant would have went out of business in the Old Testament. <laughs> Ollie Gates would be in deep trouble. And uh, he ain't allowed to eat some things. Because in Leviticus chapter 11, he's told there are things that are clean, and then there's things that are unclean. And God gave him these things, obviously, uh, for uh, a couple of reasons. One of the reasons were these were their dietary laws, and uh, they, it was good for them, and, and many of the dietary things that they give Israel are good for practice today. But he's doing it for another reason. He's doing it because of the fact that they are to be, they are to be different people. They are to be absolutely uh, different from the world. And then the third thing that he did, the third thing that he did, was the physical act of circumcision. Now, that's when the one we want to talk about. 
And that one had to do with his flesh. Now, before I get into that, let me make the parallels. And this is a good way you can learn this. The parallels to you and to me. You see, where the Jews where the Jews were supposed to be different from the world physically because their kingdom was the kingdom of heaven, you and I, once we get saved, we're supposed to be different from the world spiritually. Where they're differently on the outside, we're to be different on the inside. And that's the difference between the Old Testament Jew and you and I that live in the New Testament uh, in the body of Christ, if you're saved this morning. And, of course, uh, you know, we've got a group of churches around here, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that they still try to put their people under the law, even though we're in the New Testament. They think you're spiritual by what you wear, or the way you wear your hair, or the way, you know, if you, I've known churches that you couldn't grow a beard in, because they looked at that as being worldly. And they, they put the emphasis on the outside uh, instead of the inside. Now, I'll show you an example of that. Everybody, and, and we like to go down to their places because they have you know, great vegetables, and they're kind of unique people. But uh, everybody likes to go down to visit the Amish country or the Mennonites. And, you know, Amish and Mennonites are, are people that have basically excluded themselves from modern-day society in the way that the world is. Modern-day Amish, they don't, uh, you know, they don't buy uh, a lot of worldly things. They try to stay as away. They don't have TV sets. They don't have televisions. They don't have... Uh, they don't, uh, many times, they make their own clothes. And you've got various degrees of that. But a real hardline Amish or a Mennonite is someone that basically has thinking that for them to be right with God and have a relationship with God, they have to be nothing to do with the world. And, of course, the problem with that is that we are supposed to win this world. And, you know, when somebody looks at an Amish or somebody, you drive down the road in your car and you see somebody in a horse and buggy, you don't think, I want to be like that person. You see somebody get out, and he's got a corn cob hat, and he's got long hair and a beard, and he's got hooks and eyes for his pants and suspenders, and she's got a dress down to her below her feet, you know, and, and got a bonnet on. The, the average thing is, gee, I want to be like that. You see, they're not in the time frame anymore where it's what you wear and how you disassociate yourself with things that make you spiritual. They, they haven't got the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven doctrine down. But you will find people in your life that maybe you work with or maybe you're a family or you're friends and whatever, you know, wherever you're at, that maybe they have seen the inward change in your life and they have seen how that you got the victory over some problem in your life and once you were a mess in your life and now you seem to have, have a handle on things, they will say, I want to be like that. You see, one is outward and one is inward. The Jews, their, their, their thing was outward. They, were the, they had the way they wear their, wear their hair, their beard, and the physical circumcision and, and what they eat. But those things parallel to us. Now, the Jew had to be careful how he looked physically. You ought to understand that the world is going to look at you, so you ought to be careful how you look to them spiritually. See? You don't need to worry about what kind of clothes you wear so much as you do what comes out of your mouth. That's what you got to be concerned with. And we know that Christians uh, in the world don't talk the same and they don't act the same. So when a Jew had to be careful how he looked, you and I have to be careful how the world looks at us. Then a Jew had to be careful with what he ate. The parallel it has is you have to be careful what you take into your body. 
You have some openings in your head, whether you know it or not. You have your eyes, you have your ears, you have your nose, and you have your mouth. Everything you take into those openings has an effect inside you some way, shape, or form. And it's because God designed those things to be taken in. And you know as well as I do, anything you take into your body has an effect on your body. You eat the right kind of food, healthy food, you stay healthy. You eat the wrong kind of food, then you, you, you don't stay healthy. Everything you do, everything you take into your body has an effect on you one way or the other, good or bad. You know, a person who's an alcoholic winds up with cirrhosis of the liver. Did he get that? He got that because he abused his body. Someone who smokes all the time winds up with lung cancer. It's just the way the process works. What we take in has to do with what it is. So uh, you, you see that what he ate then had to do with what he took into his body. And then his circumcision had to do with his flesh. And when you got saved, and we're not going to get into this this morning, but we're going to come back and talk to about it next week about your circumcision. Because if you're, ser- if you're here this morning and you're, you're saved, whether you're male or you're female, you have been circumcised, just not physically. And I want you to understand that, and we're going to explain that next week. But these things, these things were a sign to the nation of Israel. It was a sign that they were to keep before them that they were not to be like everybody else. That's the key. That's the key. And on the eighth day, the Bible says that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, that the man-child, it makes a reference to the man-child. By the way, that's the first time the word man-child shows up in your Bible. The man-child is a tremendous study in the Word of God, uh, and that's the first time it shows up, Genesis 17, 10. Was taken, and the foreskin of his flesh was removed from a part of his anatomy that had to do with giving birth and had to do with his seed. And what that represented physically, first of all, was the shedding of blood connected with a seed. The second thing is when they, when they took the flesh off, which in the Bible is called the foreskin, when they took that flesh off, it separated the flesh from the part of the body that, that, that the seed came through. And it's now a picture of physically of you being separated from your flesh in connection to the seed. And the seed is going to be the seed that comes through the man that in time becomes the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's how that thing works. So what you have there is you have a, you you know, in the Bible, like in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26, when it talks about, I'll use the term, unsaved people in the Bible, like the Philistines, it calls them the uncircumcised Philistines. The Jews saw such a distinction about their circumcision that it separated them that it became a terminology between them who were the circumcised and the uncircumcised Philistines that represent the evilness in the world. Now, physical circumcision uh, has nothing to do uh, with salvation today. And, of course, we're going to see this. But you have to understand what I just gave you uh, and to get back to our text here and uh, with a better understanding. I hope. <laughs> All right? Now, now, Paul has just, coming back to Romans now, with that in your mind, Paul has just blasted the Jews. We saw it last week and really all through chapter 2. Paul has just blasted the Jews. He used sarcasm last week, didn't have very much grace. Paul has now blasted them in chapter 2 and held them accountable to the fact that because uh, they are Jews and because they have the oracles of God, that that simply doesn't mean that they have a free ticket to heaven. And that's where they're at. 
They're thinking that because they are God's chosen people and because they have had the oracles of God and because of everything that is going on there, uh, that, they are, that they have a free ticket to heaven. That's going to get them where they need to go. And he's told them that having the law or the oracles of God or the circumcision or whatever, it means nothing if you don't obey the law that you have. And that's the key. The key is that you and I having a Bible means absolutely nothing if we don't obey what the Bible says. And uh, he's told them that they're no better than the Gentiles who, in chapter 1 who in their unrighteousness have violated their own conscience. In fact, what he says is the Jews are worse. Not only have they had and violated the supernatural revelation of God, but as we saw last week, uh, you know, by their own disobedience, they have caused the Gentiles to blaspheme. Basically what he's saying is a great principle for you and for me. And that is the more light that you get from the Word of God, the more you're responsible for when it comes to the Lord. And uh, one of the most terrible mistakes that many of God's people make is the fact that they want to learn the Bible, but they don't want to ever get to the place where they, they get the responsibility that comes along with it. And that's not a very good situation to be in. You would be, if you're not going to do what's right with the Word of God, you're better off going to, to a dead church. You could at least have some kind of ignorance in that thing, even though the ignorance is not going to work it, because God's not going to hold you accountable of what you found out or what you didn't. He's going to hold you accountable of what you could have found out but chose not to. So we see that the Jews here are more responsible than the Gentiles because they had more light. They had the Word of God. They had the law. They had everything hand-given to them. And when God takes a nation and hand-feeds them the Word of God and gives them everything that they've got that they don't have to really do much work at all to learn the Bible, much like a lot of you guys here, you get the Bible served on a plate all the time. To whom much is given, much is required. And he's saying to them, he says, you guys are worse than the Gentiles. Not only have they violated the supernatural revelation of God, but as we saw last week, they caused by their disobedience the Gentiles to blaspheme God, bringing a reproach upon the name of Christ. Now, here's what's happened. And in chapter 25 through chapter 29, you may have already got ahead of me and figured it out. You might have guessed it. The Jews have elevated their circumcision. This is what this thing's all about. This is why he's taking the time to define to them about circumcision. This is why I'm taking the time to lay it out. Because what the Jews have done, they've elevated their circumcision to some spiritual level that it's not. In their self-righteousness, they have taken the act of circumcision, which was given as a sign, never for their salvation. And they have taken the act of circumcision, and now they're looking at the Gentiles, and they're equating themselves to be righteous with God because they are, have went through the act of circumcision, and the Gentiles are not righteous because they have not had the physical act. And they're wearing their circumcision like some badge of spirituality. And, of course, the God's trying to come down here, and what he's saying, he's saying that, uh, you know, uh, you're, the fact that you're, you know, the, the circumcision was a sign that was given to Abraham uh, as the covenant. It had nothing to do with salvation. Now, this is where we're going to pick it up now, and maybe with that little introduction, some of, these, uh, some of these verses now will maybe begin to open up for you a little bit here, and we'll break it all down. Now, here's what he says in verse 25. He says, For circumcision... Verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made unsure. I'll never forget one time in a Bible study years ago. Uh, somebody asked a question, you know, any question you want to ask? 
and the, the question was here, and they were reading Romans. And uh, I mean, just as sincere as you could be. I mean, just not, you know, no, no, no cloak behind it, just absolutely wanting to learn the Bible. And the question was, the question was, you know, he said, for circumcision verily profit if you keep the law. But if thou break the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcised. And her question was, in the Old Testament, when they broke the law, how did they get uncircumcised? That was her question. And I tried to explain to her, or I did explain to her, I said, that's, uh, that's not the issue here. And what he's saying is not the fact that, that you're circumcised. Uh, he, what he's saying is that, that your circumcision doesn't make you uh, righteous with God. And if you be circumcised physically, which is a sign, and then you violate the law, you might as well have never been circumcised. What he's saying, it isn't the outward act that makes you a Christian. It's what you have on the inside. And we see this all the time, you know, uh, in, in, in the parallels or all through Christianity. Uh, you find that there are people who think because they've been baptized, they're going to heaven. Now, baptism is an outward thing. Now, you know here in our church, we teach that baptism does nothing more than get you wet. It's all that it does. Baptism doesn't save anybody. But you find churches today that believe that, that or people that believe because they've been baptized. I'm always nervous when, when you ask somebody, have you ever been saved? And they said, oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was, when I was 28 years old or 6 years old. That always frightens me because in my mind, I immediately get the idea that they don't understand the difference between real salvation and baptism because baptism didn't save anybody, never has saved anybody. Baptism is an outward expression of what you already have inwardly, see? Circumcision was an outward expression of what the Jews should have had already inwardly. In fact, it wasn't his circumcision that saved him. It was the fact that he really had God in his heart that made him to be circumcised. So when, when you break the law and don't do the law, what he's saying here, even the fact that you're circumcised, you might as well not have been circumcised. Because circumcision, the act itself, because you went through the process, isn't what God takes for your salvation no more than baptism is you got people that think that if they join a church, that that's salvation. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, it's the same concept. I mean, uh, you got people that think if you have the right Bible. You know, we teach around here the King James Bible, the absolute imperfect Word of God. The bottom line is this. Uh, having a King James Bible doesn't make you a Christian any more than going out and getting a set of golf clubs makes you Tiger Woods. you got to have it on the inside. Having it in your hand, in your lap, in your home, in your coffee table doesn't do anything for you. And, of course, that's, you know, that's the key. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying it's not the fact that you're circumcised that makes you righteous with God. That was just a sign of the covenant. No salvation in it at all. But he says if you don't keep the law that goes with it, your circumcision is none effect. What's the difference if you go to church if you don't live it the rest of the week? What's the point of having the right Bible if you can't follow what the Bible says and apply your heart to it and what you got to do with it? What's the point of getting baptized if you're not going to go back to church anyhow? That's the point. And he's saying, what is the point of being circumcised outwardly if you don't have the things of God inwardly in you? Because it's not the outward things, it's the inward things. And that's what he's saying. You see how easy it is once you break it down? And this 
thing here for circumcisionally very profitable for thou keepest the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy shirt is made unsure. That sounds so complicated until you put it into a context. He said over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, and in chapter 7, you have 20 rules laid out in that chapter about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and every Christian ought to follow them. But he's talking about the fact of what is real and what is not real, and he uses the example of circumcision in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. He says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the law, that's something, see? In other words, again, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we do. It only matters what is on the inside, and what is on the inside, uh, you know, really comes out. You know, I've told you this story before four and four thousand times. And for me, it's an answer to a lot of things. And I pass it on because we always have new people coming. And, and uh, you know, I know I hear, I hear a thousand things a month that I really want to remember that I can really use. And I usually remember one or two of them because I simply won't write them down, see. Of course, if you're driving in the car, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to. And I say to myself, I want to remember that. And then 20 minutes later, I'm saying, what was that I want to remember? Now, that was really good, see. I do have pre-Alzheimer's. But anyway, I've told you this story before because it illustrates the point so true. And in your life and my life in dealing with people, it's going to help you really figure things out. Uh, well, maybe not for most, some of you, but most of you it will. You know, I told you the story before how that years ago uh, in Ohio where we lived before we came to Kansas City, uh, it was, remember when the guy was taken off the, uh, and, and putting cyanide in the, in the uh, Tylenol and people were t t trying to, they didn't know how well their headache was going to get fixed when they took them, you know. And that was, he was going, and that's before they put all the, back when we grew up and in the early, before some of you were even born, they didn't put those, those things you got to peel off. It all happened because of the fact that some guy was putting cyanide in Tylenol capsules because all you had to do was go to the grocery store, you know, take out the cap, put a couple of pills in and close the thing. It didn't have any seal on it. Now you see everything you've got is sealed. Your ketchup is sealed. Your mustard is sealed. I mean, what are you going to put, cyanide in mustard? I mean, ketchup? I mean, everything is sealed. And you've got to warn it. If the seal is broken, do not buy. Okay? And everything is set up that way because, because of that one incident. And he killed about a bunch of people. I mean, I'm not minimizing it. It was a very time. I mean, I, you know, I had a headache for six months. and didn't take anything. I was scared to death, you know. And, but in Ohio, a guy got creative. And he got a, a hypodermic needle, you know, that people take insulin with. And he put the cyanide in a liquid form, which it comes in a liquid form. And he was going to the grocery store, and this was after they passed all the laws. He was going to the grocery store and, and injecting cyanide into lemons. It doesn't take much cyanide. And he was injecting into the lemons. And he'd get there, you know, and nobody would see him. You know, you know he'd been in a grocery store. Everybody's worried about what they're looking for. They don't look about what you're doing. I mean, and he's injecting these lemons in there and, and, and you know, and, and, and putting them back out. People were buying the lemons, and uh, they were making lemonade, and they were dying. And everybody thought, them, uh, what is going on? And, and finally, they tracked it down that all these people had bought lemons from one store. And when they finally figured it out, they pulled the lemons off the deal, and they all had how they forensically did it, and they found out that somebody was putting sign. They finally caught the guy. And I remember a preacher was preaching back then after all that went down, and he used a great example. And it's something that I have never forgotten. I have used it 
time and time and time again to help me from getting deceived or getting me messed up. And it's based on this principle right here of circumcision, church membership, and all. The guy was preaching, and he said, he asked a question. He said, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? And he actually asked for somebody to raise their hand. And four or five people said, lemon juice, lemonade, you know, this, that, all this stuff, you know, all the right things. And after everybody was done, he said, no, that's not true. And then he told the story that I just told you. He says, now here's the deal. He says, when you get lemons and you squeeze lemons, you think you should get lemon juice. But in actuality, based on the story, what you get is what really is on the inside. And then he brought it back to a Christian perspective. He says, what do you get when you squeeze Christians? See? You'd think when a Christian got squeezed, you'd get Christian juice. That's real sticky and yucky and stays with you forever, you know. But his point was, the real mark of a Christian is not when everything is going his way or her way. The real mark of a Christian is when things don't go their way. And then the real proof of what they say they are or they're not is not in what they say. It's what you get when they're squeezed. Because you think you'll get one thing, but in reality, whatever is on the inside of that person is what comes out when they're squeezed. One of the most absolute, profound concepts I ever got in my life. I have saved me from being deceived and dealing with people a 100,000 times in my life. It's the absolute truth because it's not about what the outside is. It's what the inside is. The Jews were saying to themselves, hey, we are, we are circumcised physically. We are God's people. Therefore, you uncircumcised people are not righteous with God. And because we outwardly are, we are. And Paul's taking them to task and saying, hey, it isn't about what's on the outside. It's what you really are that's on the inside. Verse 26 says, therefore, if the uncircumcision, that'll be your Gentiles, they're uncircumcised. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, who God deals with, we've already seen this, by their conscience. For therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Now, there's another little play on words. You know what he's saying is? He's saying that a Jew who has a circumcision outwardly, if he doesn't keep it, he's like he's uncircumcised because the circumcision or the act of it didn't mean anything if you don't believe what you're doing. And then he's saying the Gentiles, those that were without circumcision, if they believe the Word of God and believe the law, God looks at them even though they're not circumcised like they are. See how it works? In both cases, it's what you've got on the inside. Now, this is what we find over here in verse uh, 29 when he says, talks about the circumcision that is of the heart. That's for Gentiles. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, he's saying, Old and this is our second circumcision, circumcision of the heart. Old Testament Gentiles are not physically circumcised. But when they believe what the Word of God has said, even though physically they're not circumcised, they are in the heart because God counts their uncircumcision for circumcision just like He counts the Jews' circumcision as uncircumcision when they don't do what's right. It's a great principle. The principle is it isn't about you say you're a Christian. It isn't about you, you say this or you talk this or you carry the right Bible. It's about when push comes to shove, what do you do? Do you act like a Christian or do you act like an unsaved person? That's the question. That's the question. 
God accepts them and counts their uncircumcision of the body as being circumcised in the heart. And, of course, uh, God's simply telling the Jews, it's your attitude of heart that's the key in obeying His Word. I told you a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about uh, with something else, and I made a reference to the fact that, that getting saved today in the day and age that we're living is a very, it's a very tough thing. It, it really frightens me today the way most people are dealt with when, it, when they get saved. It really frightens me the way most parents deal with their kids. And uh, I had a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guy show up here that used to come to church here for uh, off and on for a long time, and then his wife didn't like it. And so, uh, uh, you know, she didn't come back anymore, and he didn't come back anymore. And he's got three of the kids that uh, are going to probably, and I hate to say this, are going to probably die and go to hell and burn like a torch for all of eternity. Came back three weeks ago, got me over in the corner over there. He said, boy, my life's in a mess. My wife's left me. And I'm going to do what's right and do what's right. And I'm going to, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he said, you know, the biggest thing that worries me, he says, my oldest daughter right now is about to be saved and I don't know how to lead her to Christ. Right in that corner there. I said, praise the Lord. Well, I said, you know what? You screwed it up so much. I said, you got probably one more chance. He said, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. My wife's left me on this, on that. You know what happened? Wife came to church the next Sunday with him. Didn't like the message. They never been back since. Never been back since. Never been back since. Now, I'm telling you, that's the problem today. That's the problem. That's the problem. People think they're saved when they're not. You, in the day and age that we live in, I am not impressed by what you tell me about your salvation. I'm impressed that when push comes to shove, how do you deal with it? Do you revert to acting like an unsaved person? Or do you deal with it in a biblical sense the way a Christian should? That's the key. And our little Fourier back there uh, that, that day, met when, he, when, he, when, I, when he said that, based on the track record that I already knew, I thought to myself, it's a terrible thing, but that little girl is going to die and go to hell. Or the next time they come back to church, and the last time was about two and a half years ago, you give that little girl another two and a half years, she'll want nothing to do with God by then. And that's just the way it goes. Salvation's a terrible, tough thing. Scares me scares me because people, people get into the head knowledge of it, never get the heart knowledge of it. It becomes academic to them, but it never becomes real to them. And I, you, you start witnessing to somebody and they start telling you, you know, oh, I need to be saved. And, you start, and then they start saying, but I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. You're wasting your time. But because we want them saved, we violate the first rule of biblical counseling. You know what that is? Never want somebody to do right more than they do. And the moment you do, you're a victim. You're going to get used. And it scares me today because I think personally, and I don't say this publicly too much, I keep my thoughts to myself, but I really believe personally, I believe that most of the people that are walking around this world that say they're saved have no idea what salvation is. And that's a terrible thing to say. But you know what? That's the way it is. We're living in a day and age where everybody thinks it's what you do. It's what you know. But when push comes to shove, the real proof is how do you deal with it when it comes? That's the key. That's the key. The act itself means nothing if you don't have the right heart attitude. And that's what's missing in salvation today, the right heart attitude. And... Uh, it's a thing where uh, the, the, people that I, uh, the people that I am most assured of when I win them to Christ, 
is people that when they get saved, they simply say to me, you know what, Bob? I don't care what I got to do. I don't care what I got to give up. You tell me to go shit in my head. You're the man that won me to Christ. God brought me here. I don't care. You tell me to go shit in my head in the corner for the next six months. That's what I'll do. You tell me to do this. That's what I'll do. Because all I want to do is go to heaven. I don't want to be lost. I want to have a relationship. I am tired of this world. This is what I want. Those are the ones that you have the chance with. But boy, how many times do you start to deal with them and they say, well, I'll do that. But you know what? I'll get saved, but I'm not sure I'm going to be baptized yet. I'm not ready yet. Well, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to get saved, but I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. Oh, really? Well, how come everybody in the book of Acts, once they got saved, joined the church? Do you think you can exclude yourself from that? How, about, how come everybody in the book of Acts? You're finding the book of Acts when somebody got saved and Paul said or, or, or whoever said you need to be baptized. Everybody said, well, let me pray about that. There was no praying about it. They understood, and they, they, they were going to do whatever they had to do. Why? Because it was really inward. Most of what we do today is outward. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And he says, therefore, if the, if the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, who God did with their conscience, if they keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Absolutely, because it's based on the attitude of heart. And he's basically telling the Jews here, hey, look, man, it isn't about what you do. It's about what's in your heart. And when like the lemon being squeezed, what's in your heart will always come out whenever you're squeezed. Greatest test of a Christian I could ever know in my life. And I don't say much sometimes, but I watch everything. And I watch what happens when a child of God who says she's a Christian or he's a Christian, and when push comes to shove and they don't get the wrong way or whatever happens, I watch how they respond to it. It'll, it writes volumes about where they're at. And you can just take that and tuck that away someplace, and if you're ever going to work with people, it'll be one of the single greatest things you ever look at. Because everybody wants to put the outside out, but it's the inside that counts. We saw this last week in verse 21 and 22, remember, when it talked about stealing? And he says, you teach, to, you teach your people, and you're not teachers of what you teach? He says, you say, thou shalt not steal. Do you steal? He says, thou shalt commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Thou shalt not have any idols, but do you commit sacrilege? And we saw by that that, that God necessarily doesn't look at the act. You see, we think, here's, here's our system of justice. We think that if, if, if you're dry, walking through your office someplace and somebody left 25 cents on, on their desk and you need 25 cents to get a Coke, and you're going to need more than 25 cents, by the way, but say you got 75 cents and you need a quarter, and you take that quarter off there because I think nobody saw, and somebody down here runs a quick trip and gets 250000 Well, no, not wrong. Nobody gets $250,000 out of a quick trip unless they get them there when they get all the gas money. But, but somebody go over here, robs a bank, takes $250,000. You and I think there's a difference between the two because we look at the amount. You know what God sees? God sees the heart of two thieves. That's all. The guy that stole the 25 cents would have got the $250,000 if he left it on the desk. <laughs> I told you the story last week about my that last week about or, I think it was last week, about my buddy that had been divorced and a group that says if you're divorced, you're living in adultery. And how the Matthew chapter 5 says that, that God doesn't see the act. God sees, God, he does see the act, but it's not what he accounts. It's the attitude of heart. Idolatry is the same way. Everybody know who John Robinson is? Remember John Robinson? He's a guy over in Kansas. Killed all those women and stuffed them in 55-gallon drums. What a terrible guy. He got 
I think he got the death penalty. He'll probably get out of it, but, uh, you know. But he killed I don't know how many women. Couldn't find them all. But he made the terrible mistake of putting them in 55-gallon drums and leaving them on his farm. For what purpose, I yet not know. We look at something like that and we think how, how horrendous, how absolutely horrendous. And we would never equate ourselves with a guy like John Robinson, would we? No, because we're so self-righteous. See? No, we, the thought of going out, I, I, I read last week one of the most pitiful stories uh, that I have ever heard in my life, I think, about this black man that was walking downtown and a bunch of white guys came by and they were looking for a black man to kill. And this guy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Saw his family on there. What a great guy he looked like he was. They drove up and they shot him because they wanted to kill a black man. And they got sentenced this week. And I look at things like that and I think to myself, how senseless. And we in our self-righteous, you know, we, we like to put distance between that, don't we? Sure we do. Why, uh, you know what? You wouldn't think about going out and picking up a gun and killing somebody, would you? You wouldn't think, you know, you wouldn't go out there and shoot somebody. You wouldn't think of going out there and, and blowing somebody's brains out or sneaking up behind somebody and, and, uh, and, and shooting them. No, you wouldn't think that. No, you wouldn't do that at all. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, he that hateth his brother is a murderer. That's what I said last week. We take our minds places that we never think about taking our body. You hate somebody this morning in your heart, you're just like John Robinson as far as God's concerned. Now, I know you and I think that's different because we always focus on the act. The thing you're going to get in Romans, if God doesn't focus on the act, God focuses on the heart. Does God see the act? Absolutely. Is there consequences to the act? No question. But you think because one is little and one is big that there's a difference. When God sees your heart, he sees if you hate somebody this morning in your heart, you're just like John Robinson, you're a murderer. And we know no murderer has eternal life. Now what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? You see, when you look at this, you understand the great concept of attitude versus action. A man who, who has develops the attitude that is wrong will do the action that's wrong. God knows that. God knows it's the attitude that leads to the action in every case. I've never had a case in my life where the, before the action was done, the attitude wasn't there. Those guys that shot that poor black man, they said, we just wanted to shoot us a black man. The attitude was there before the Arab stopped up and shot him. Attitude produces action. And that's another great principle you'll learn in life. Hey, back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, where God talked to Abraham before God ever gave him the sign in the covenant, before he ever gave him the sign of circumcision. He was told in chapter 17, verse 1, and he gets the covenant in verse 10. He says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. You know why? It's not what you do. It's what you are that counts. That's the Jew's problem. Now, the parallels here are just found in, in, in all across the New Testament churches today, all across America. And that simply is, and I think the glaring one and that, that I can put it into perspective is that we think today that if you get a title in a church, that makes you spiritual. Oh, how many times have I seen that in my lifetime? That's why when a church looks for a pastor, they want somebody that they don't care what, he's, what he knows about the Bible. They want to know what he's got up here. They don't care what's in here. They want to know what he's got up here. They want to know if he's got a, he's got a, uh, you know, he's got a Ph.D. They want to know if he's got an M.A. They want to know if he's got a B.A. Now, I've been all my life, I have been castigated because I'm against 
higher education. I'm really not against higher education. But my, I agree with what old Bob Jones Sr. said a number of years ago, that education without salvation is damnation. That's the problem. I'm not, a, I'm not against a degree. I got a degree. I got a B.A. I was born again. Guy said, I got a B.A., bunch of applesauce. I got an M.A., more applesauce. I got a Ph.D., piled higher and deeper. <laughs> now, see, this is where I, this is an enigma to me. You know what an enigma is? I don't know either, but I heard it on the news last night, and it sounded like a good word to use in this sermon. <laughs> an enigma is a mystery, something you can't figure out. Now, they all read the same Bible I read. They all read the same Bible I read. They all, they all come to the place where you find me anybody, anybody in the New Testament church in the book of Acts, anywhere, in any books of the Bible, that once they get saved, get shipped off to a higher school of learning education to learn to be a Christian. They're all taught in the local church. They read the same thing I read. They must read Psalm 62, verse 9, at least once a year when they go through the Bible, where he says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, great white throne judgment, they're all together lighter than vanity. Men of low degree, they're, they're a vanity. Men of high degree, they're a lie. You know why? Because you've got to do what Job says. They've got, they got to violate what Job said in Job chapter 38, verse 2. He says, he says, who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? These guys. Now, I'm not against you getting your degree and I think every Christian ought to have a degree. And if you don't have a degree this morning, you're probably really short. And that's probably a lot of what your problem is. But the degree you need is not found in secular education or even Christian education. The degree you need is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. That's the degree you need. That's the degree I need. That's all you need. But that's the degree we need today. And that's the one we don't have. We've sold that one down the river and we've got all the other ones. Giving you a title is an outward thing, doesn't make you spiritual. Most churches today are really, in the Bible sense, not even churches at all in the New Testament. Sense. I know that's hard for Peppy to grasp, but I'm telling you, that's the way it is. The little th they're not churches at all. They're little third world countries with a bunch of little dictators running around to try to control you, tell you what you think, tell you what you can do, tell you how to dress, tell you how to do this. And the moment you violate the rules, you get whacked. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. The pastors and the deacons and the elders and the finance committee, they all have a little power influence, you see, the little world, the little sphere that they control. Years ago, I had a, we, had, we started a, a little league program that, that branched out and, and just probably wound up with over 100 teams as an outreach. And in the early days, you know, I had this couple that was a sharp couple. In fact, they wound up being missionaries, and they were a good couple. And they came to me, and they, they, they said, we need a computer. And we need a computer, and this is the one we want. And I said, now here's my, here's my mindset. If you're giving your time free, and you're working for me in my ministry, and you need something, I'll get you whatever you need. I went into the finance committee guy, and I said, my couple over here need a computer. And this is the one they want to get. He said, well, what do they want to do with it? And I said, well, they want to do this. He said, they don't need one like that to do that. I said, I don't care. 
He said, but you don't understand. They don't need, they don't need that computer for what they want to do. I said, it isn't about what they need, pal. It's about what they want. They're giving their time. They're spending working full jobs. They're doing everything else, and yet they're giving up enormous amounts of their time. You know what? I don't care what they need. I'm only concerned with giving them what they want because that's what they want is what they need. Don't sit here and because you got the purse strings, tell me you're not going to dole out another $55 because you think that they don't need that when you're not even involved in their ministry. Did you hear where it goes? I took a group of people one time to teach a church how to be better in all that they do, and we got kicked out the second night. First time I've been kicked out of a church. We drove I don't know how many miles to go to a church, and they kicked us out the second night. You know why they kicked us out? Now, we were going in, and you know the discipleship program we do around here? That's what we were going in and teaching them how to do. We were laying it all out, giving them everything they needed. And the deacons got upset about it. And the deacons called a meeting with a pastor who was just a little, little puppet, pull a strings, you'll do what he tells you to do. And the pastor came in, and, and he said, uh, uh, we're going to have to shut down our meeting. And I said, whoa, why? You had twice the people here you had uh, uh, Sunday night than you've ever had People, we got 14 people saved last night. People are spreading through this town. One of the deacons popped up and said, yeah, we don't need you here anymore. And I said, what's the deal? Somebody do something wrong. You know what he said to me? He said, we're getting too many people in this church, and we get many people in this church, we can't control them. I said, well, you know what, at that statement, you don't have to kick me out. I'm on my way. Adios, senorita. The problem was power. It's always what people want in churches. Power. That's the way it works. You get your, and you get a title, you get power. Do you ever wonder why, you ever wonder why Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or John, and I'm not against anybody. I think they're all worthily, equally worthless. But did you ever stop and put a pencil to it in your brain? You ever wonder why a person like Hillary or Barack Obama or even John McCain or any of them would spend $200 million to get a job that only pays $300,000 a year for four years? Is there anybody here that would give me $100,000 if I can guarantee you I'll get you a $30,000 a year job for four years? Anybody? You, would, you wouldn't even break even. You know why they want it? You know why they'll do it? Power. What a thing to be the most powerful man or woman in the world. What a thing to be the, the leader of the free world. Power. And that translates right down the line to where you're at in the churches today. And they think because you get a title, that makes you spiritual. And, of course, they get the little, they get the little, and like I said, they think the more degrees you have, the more, the more power you can get because the more smarter you are when the really the only degree you need, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, you can't do something for God until you are something for God on the inside. And this is what the Jews have done. They've elevated their circumcision to a point that's way past its importance. They've lost the definition biblically of what it meant. And now they're saying that their, their circumcision is, 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 is making them righteous with God where the uncircumcised Gentiles are not. And God, Paul's saying to them, you're nuts. 
He's saying, you know what? The fact that you're circumcised and you don't do what the Word of God says makes out, cancels out your circumcision. And the very people you say aren't circumcised so they can't be godly, when they do what right with God, the fact that they're not circumcised, God looks at their heart and deals with them as they were circumcised even though they're not. Why? Because it has nothing to do with what we do on the outside. It has what we do in our heart. And when the heart squeezed, boy, we'll find out what's there, won't we? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Now look at verse 27, the next verse. Move along with this, but we're in good shape today. I'm going to try to get you out a little early here so you can take your mom out to dinner. Now look, when you take her out to eat today, if she wants to supersize the fries, let her do it. Liz, you're going to get an extra humble fries today, honey. <laughs> I saw it already. Verse 27. And shall not the uncircumcision, there's the Jew, or excuse me, the Gentile, which is by nature the Gentiles, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and the circumcision, the Jew, dost transgress the law. You know what he's saying there? He's simply saying this, the Jew, that Jew is so proud of his circumcision, he's so proud of his heritage, he's so proud of his promises, he's so proud of his, of his covenants, he's so proud of his law, but because of his self-righteousness, because of his attitude of arrogance, because he his attitude of superiority, he's going to lose the blessings of God that God had for him, and God's going to give them to the Gentiles. That's exactly what happens in Romans chapter 11. That's exactly what happens. It's what true is God's people. God has something for us, and at the end of the day, my goodness, at the end of the day, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, are we going to be, uh, the most heartbreaking thing that I think for a child of God at the judgment seat of Christ is getting there, and for the first time in your life, getting all the obstacles out, which is mostly you and me, getting all the obstacles out and actually seeing all that God had for us. And the great day of reckoning will be because of our arrogance, because of our, because of our head knowledge and not in our heart, because of the fact that it was all outward. We finally realize when we're faced with the inward what God had for us and then the reality of what we traded it for. Whew. Verse 28, 29. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. See, what he's saying here, the outward things don't make you Jew. No more than the outward things make you Christian. The Jews kept the sacrifices. The Jews had feasts. They had holy days. They had the circumcision. They had the promises. They had the law. They had the oracles of God. But you know what? Those were all outward things. If they didn't keep the things that God gave them inwardly, what they had outwardly didn't make any difference. Church is the same way, exact same way. You have church membership, you have baptism, you have your knowledge, you have all the, you have the right Bible, you have this and you have that, but if it's not inward, when push comes to shove, and that's the true test, when you're up against the wall, when you're up and you don't get everything the way you want it and your life starts crumbling down and you have to deal with reality, who you are at that point is when it comes out. You should have learned that the first time you read Job. You should have learned that from the first time you read Job when the devil and God had a contest about Job. And the Lord said to the devil, he loves me. 
He loves me. Why, he loves me. And the devil looks back and snarls, why wouldn't he love you? Look all the nice little things you gave him. Take those things from him and he'll curse you to your face. That's how he works it. Because the real test, ladies and gentlemen, isn't about what we say. It isn't about how we present ourselves. It isn't about the knowledge that we think we have. The real test of you and me, and you better just write it down in chapter 2, it's the whole theme. It's what's on the inside of you. When you're faced with what you got to do versus what you don't want to do, when you're faced with where you're wrong, when you don't want to be wrong, when you're faced with the reality of a situation and your back's up against the wall, when the lemon is squeezed, when you think you get lemon juice, you know what you get? What's really on the inside. Just that simple. Verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart. There it is. In spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You know what this thing settles down to when you look at the nation of Israel? And boy, this is where the, when you study the historical side of it, the parallels to you and me are just devastating. He's basically saying there to the Jews that they were God's people. God gave them everything and did everything for them and gave them things that he didn't give anybody else. But at the end of the day, what they were doing was not of God, it was a man. You know that's true of me and you? You know, the only real issue you got to look at in your life today is everything in your body. There are two categories. It's either all from God or it's all man-made. <laughs> that's not an indictment. That's just the reality of life. And there's not a lot of question that goes on about the way, you know, where somebody's at. Once you understand the little lemon theory, unless you're just dumb as a fence post, Reality sets in very clearly. It's not about what we say. It's not about what we puff our chest up and we claim to be. It's not about our spiritual title. It's about when the whole world comes down around your shoulders. What do you and I do? Do we blame somebody else or would we take the blame ourselves? Most of the time, you know what we like to do? We like to blame God. And if you ever pastor a church, you're going to find out lots of times they like to blame you as the pastor. You know what? That's life in the big leagues, boy. You want to get up the bat with the Yankees, you got to be able to take some fastballs and some curveballs. Just that, just that simple. That's the way it is. But in your life and my life, whatever's going on, it's either God-made or it's self-man-made. It's just that simple. So you got three circumcisions in your Bible. We saw two today. We saw the Old Testament circumcision. That's for your flesh under the covenant of Abraham. That was a circumcision of their physical flesh. Then we saw in the concept of him laying it all out, trying to bring the Jews down to earth where they get a grasp on the reality of where they're really at, he says that the Gentiles have a circumcision as a circumcision of their heart. Those are the first two we looked at today. And I want you to understand those. God gave the physical Jews the sign and the covenant of circumcision. Now you understand why it was done the way that it was done? You understand why it was all laid out that way, how it deals with the seed and the promises to God. And now you should have a better understanding of that circumcision. In the Old Testament, it was a circumcision of the flesh, to take the flesh from the part of the anatomy that had to do with birth and had to do with seed. And it was, it was a sign that they had been separated from the world. He did it by the way they looked, by the what they ate, and by the physical way they, they dealt with their body. That's why in the Old Testament, they weren't allowed to put any marks on their body. No tattoos, sorry. 
no, no nothing, no this. They had to be completely separate from the world. And it's a picture of what, you know, what uh, spiritually, what you and I need to be here. And then he says the Jews are so proud about that. Then he brings them down to reality. He says, you know what? He says, these people over here that aren't circumcised physically, they're circumcised of the heart because it isn't the act that you think it is that makes you right with God. It's the fact that you obey it. You're circumcised and you don't obey it. Your circumcision becomes no circumcision. They're not circumcised and do obey it. Their known circumcision becomes circumcision of the heart. See how it works? Now, that's the two. Now, next week, I'm going to show you the circumcision of Christ. I'm going to show you next week. If you get it down next week, and we'll be just as thorough and break it down just as easily as we did today, I will show you how you'll never again have to worry about losing your salvation It'll give you more insight to all the idiocy out there that says you can lose your salvation. And I'll show you how that the three circumcisions in the Bible, one for the Jew, one for the Gentile, and one for the Christian, you and me. We'll talk about it next week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and praise